Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 14th of February 2010, entitled Conforming Thinking, and the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you this morning, and I am uh, very honored to be here, always. I thank God for the opportunity. I don't take it as a light thing that I get to come and minister to God's people uh, in a place where a lot of folk uh, will never be able to go from my country. And I am so grateful. And uh, I owe a debt uh, that I will never be able to to, to pay on this side of eternity for Pastor Larry and his family uh, allowing me to come. And uh, the people at Bethel Free that I've met over the years have been some of the most precious friends that I have on this side of heaven. And I thank God for you. And uh, I hope and pray that this week I'll be an encouragement to you. I want to make myself a little bit like liquid and pour myself out among you. And so I just I just pray that you'll have open hearts and receptive hearts and listen on purpose. Um, when you come into the preaching of the Word of God, uh, there's a lot of times when you'll have a tendency, and I know it's the same way with even preachers. We get in pastor's conferences uh, or preacher's conferences. A lot of times we'll have a preacher get up and he'll mention a text. And the first thing a pastor does, he starts singing about a message he wants to preach, and he starts preparing a message while the pastor's preaching. Uh, but don't lose, don't get lost uh, in the affairs of this life. What's going on tomorrow in your life? What's going on Tuesday morning? Uh, what's going on at work? Try to focus in and listen on purpose to what God has for you, all right? Uh, Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. Sounds pretty good, brother Larry. Philippians chapter number 1. And I want you to look at verse number 6. That's where we'll start. Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 6. The book of Philippians is probably my favorite book of the Bible, especially the New Testament, because there's some amazing thoughts. If, if you begin to look and take a brief survey of the book, you'll realize that Paul wrote this from prison, of course. Most of you know the background of the book. Wrote it from prison. Uh, the word joy is mentioned 16 times in the book of Philippians, 16 times. So the overriding theme of the book of Philippians is joy. However, the word mind, M-I-N-D, the word mind, Chris, is used 14 times. He talks about having the same mind, being like-minded, being of one mind, uh, having the mutual mind. The word mind is linked, and I believe joy. If you're going to have true joy, and somebody's asked me one time, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Well, I believe the difference is happiness is what happens on the outside. But true joy comes from within you. And if you're going to have true joy, Paul was writing this from where? Prison. Now, if he's writing it from prison, why is he having to tell the church from a jail cell how they can get their joy back because they'd obviously lost it? Now, folks, I contend to you, if you're going to have true joy in the Lord, it's going to be linked to how you think. Let me say it again. I always use pithy statements. Joy is linked to how you think. And I am convinced that if we're going to see God do something, I'm going to even speak about it in the Sunday morning service, about our mind. How do you think? The way that you get out of the valley sometimes is, and we know it's all of God. We know that Jesus Christ is the one that's the captain of our ship. But I'm here to tell you, if you're going to get out of this doldrum and out of this despondency and discouragement maybe that, God, maybe that uh, is in your life, you're going to have to understand that it's linked to how you think. 
I want you to look at Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 6. Paul the Apostle says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Now let me explain what he's saying. God started a work in you. God is faithful to, listen, finish the work that he started in you. By the way, we're to, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We are to be, if we're going to try to be Christ-like in our mind, we've got to be like our Savior. Well, thank God he didn't quit. And his, listen, he's submitting to us that we ought not quit. If we start something, praise God, we ought to finish it. Amen? Can I get a partial amen right there? Okay, good. If we start something, we need to finish it. Too many times, Tim, I see people that start really well, but they don't finish well. It is not as important how we start the race for Jesus as how we finish it. And folks, if we're going to finish well, it's the way we think about things. Paul, through this book, tells us that our joy is linked to how we think. The first way that we think is we ought to have, number one, I believe Paul's telling us in this first chapter, we ought to have confident thinking. You ought to write that down in the margin of your Bible. You ought to have confident thinking. You say, preacher, how do I have confidence in my thought life? Well, you got to base it on what God said, not how you feel. You base how you think on the promises of God. Let me say something. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 6 through 8, he says, Therefore, he says, Therefore, we are also confident knowing that while we were present in this body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You want to know something? I've got confidence knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. I've got confidence knowing that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So folks, we've got to have confidence on based upon the authority of what God has said, not how we feel, Steve, not emotionalism. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people have said, you know, you get a little animated. Well, you know what? I can't contain sometimes what's inside, preacher. I have to sometimes let it out. If I don't, I'm going to bust. But do you know what? You can't base all of your Christian life on just the ebb and flow of emotion. It has to be based on factual evidence, and we know that God cannot lie. Titus chapter number 1, verse 2. God can't lie, so everything He's told me in His Word is true. Psalm 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So we know God can't lie. So I can base my thinking and have the confidence knowing that whether, listen, that I'm rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I've got confidence in that. We have to understand that our Thinking has to be, number one, confident. Confident. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 11, verse two, uh, 22. He said, have faith in God. Now, you know what? There's a large movement going on in America. It says you need to have faith in your faith. Let me say something, folks. There's a Greek word for that, and it's called baloney. You don't have faith in your faith. You have faith in God. And folks, I'm here to tell you that we can, listen, we can be rest assured that God says that, listen, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in verse number 6 of Hebrews chapter number 11, he says, for without faith it is impossible to please him. 
It's impossible to please him. Why? Because, listen, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a... He was, he's not the one that was. He's the one that is. And is to come. He's the ancient of days. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his truth endures to all generations. And I'm here to tell you, the way you have confident thinking is you have faith in God. Joshua chapter number 1 verse 9 says, "Be Listen, be strong and of a good courage, and be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. You know what I like about our God? There's a lot of times, Brother Steve, I did it to your wife this morning. She had asked me for a picture last night. I forgot, I forgot to get that picture for her. You know what I'm thankful? I'm thankful that God don't forget nothing. He don't forget our sin. Did you know that? God don't forget your sin. He chooses not to remember your sin. Son, I'm going to tell you, that's good. That's how good a God we serve is He don't forget what you've done. God can't do that. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. So God don't forget it to Him. He chooses not to remember it. But let me tell you something I love more than that. God didn't forget me because why? Because it says I'm written. Isaiah chapter 49, I'm written on the palm of His hand. My name is engrafted on His hand and He can't forget me. Folks, that ought to give you confidence knowing that you are held in the hand of the God of creation. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Jeremiah 29, he said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. God wants the best for you. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I've got a friend in the States who's an evangelist, and his name's Dave Kahilwatt. Dear friend of mine, we went to Bible college together. Two months ago, normal day, Chris, driving to a park to have a picnic. His 17-year-old son, Joshua, has his 11-year-old brother in the car with him, Caleb. The family was at Walmart getting the necessities, uh, like Asta. They have Asta, and they were getting their necessities for the picnic. They called Joshua on the phone, said, meet us at the park. And he said, I'm on my way. Hung the phone up. What the dad did not realize, that with five seconds after he hung the phone up, Steve, on that cell phone, that Joshua looked this way in his car at a stop sign. He forgot to look this way, pulled out, and a truck hit him and T-boned him in the side that he was driving in. They rushed him to the hospital. They airlifted him from there to a place in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, they began to do surgery on his brain. They had to cut a little hole in the back of his skull to release some of the pressure and let some of the, uh, some of the stuff drain off because he had had a hemorrhage. And Folks, they just said, you know what? They looked, at, they looked at my friend Dave and his wife Charlotte and they said, you know what? I don't know if your son's going to live through the night. You know, what, what do you do when situations like that come? What do you do, Chris, when is it that life hits you broadsided. Because can I say this? One of the most used verses we're going to look at tonight is one of the most misused verses, Pastor. And is this verse, we know that all things work together for good. Can I tell you the specific group of people he's talking to? To them that love God. We know all things. Now let me tell you something, folks. 
All sin don't work together for good. We know that. So who's he talking to? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You are the called. If you're a, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've claimed him as your Savior, you're one of the called. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I don't know why God took one of my babies. I don't know why. I know he knows best. I don't know why it is that people that look like they're just, just brewing over with health and with strength and vitality come up one day and the doctor says, you've got six months to live, you've got cancer. But I know this, Steve, all things work together for good to them that love God. Let me tell you something, folks. Dave and Charlotte Kehillwatt had to take God at His Word and have confidence in their thinking because they did not trust in their own flesh. Can I say this, folks? They had faith in God. You've got to have faith in not your faith. You've got to not have faith in emotion. You've got to have faith in God. And do you know what? Three days after he had that car accident, they had to sign what they call a DNR do not resuscitate order. Can you, imagine, can you imagine mom, dad signing a DNR, a do not resuscitate order on your child who was 17 years of age laying in a hospital bed? Can you imagine doing that? How do you have confident thinking when that goes on? Because you made some decisions at the beginning that you don't have to make in the darkest hour of your life based upon what God said. Paul's in a jail cell, preacher. He's saying, being confident in this very thing. Hey, here's a man who's in jail for doing nothing more than what I did this morning. And he says, I'm confident that he which started a good work in me will finish it until the day of his coming of his son. I want to ask you something. Do you have confident thinking? My friend Dave and him had to have it. Why? Because folks, if they didn't, they would have probably perished themselves. I would love to announce to you this morning that I just got an email from them and after two and a half months, their son through physical therapy and through an act of the sovereign will of God and through his protection and his power, that young man is able to even walk today and he can even pick up a fork and feed himself when they said three days after, he will not live. Can I say this? I know we're just, just distinguished people and all, but can I just wave my hanky and say hallelujah? Glory! You want to know why? Because you've got to have confident thinking if you're going to get through this life. Your joy, and by the way, the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter number 8, verse 10, Weep not, neither mourn, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. And if you want to have strength in this life, you're going to have to, it's going to be linked to the way you think. Those folks that just came in, Philippians chapter number 1, we're right there in verse number 6. We're getting ready to shift gears and go to chapter number 3, though. Philippians chapter number 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. If you're going to get through this life and have the joy of the Lord not only on your face but in your heart, you're going to have to, number one, have confident thinking. But number two, I want you to look over at chapter number 3. Chapter number 3. I've heard, it made, I've heard a statement that says it this way. Little faith will take your soul to heaven. But great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Let me say it again. 
Little faith will bring, listen, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. How do you get through this life when it hits you broadsided? Number one, you've got to have confident thinking. But number two, I want you to look at Philippians chapter number three. This is amazing to me. Here's a man that's chained and shackled to a wall in the innermost part of the prison, and he says this. He says, though I'm, look at verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Now let me stop there and say this. Does this Bible tell us that the flesh profits any good thing? No. Paul said, I know that in my body, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But Paul says this, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath where he might trust in the flesh, Paul said, I more. You know what Paul is saying? If anybody could boast about what they were and who they were, he said, I could do it more than anybody. Why could he do that? Well, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, man, as touching the law, I wasn't just a Hebrew of the Hebrews to put icing on the cake, Panos. He said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. And as touching the righteousness which is in the law, can't nobody else in here say this. He said, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, I kept everything. Everything. But I want you to look at verse number 6. He said, everything that I did, all the righteousness of the law, I was counted as blameless because I didn't, I didn't violate one of God's laws. But look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for who? Christ. You know what? I know all of you have read Philippians, and I know you know the verses. And we know the fact of what this book's saying, but can I ask you something? Do you know the force of what this book is saying? You know the devil even knows the truth of God. But it ain't going to change him and send him to heaven. I know a lot of Jewish rabbis who know who Jesus is historically, and they believe that he died on the cross. But it ain't going to take their soul to heaven. Can I say this, folks? If you're going to get through this life and your joy is linked to the way you think, number one, you've got to have confident thinking, but number two, you've got to have committed thinking. Committed thinking. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Here was a man, Tyler, who said, if anybody could boast, I can. Now, he's writing this chained and shackled to a wall in a jail cell. And he says, if anybody can boast of who they were, he said, I could, but everything that was gained to me, I counted loss that I may win Him. I want to ask you something this morning as God's people. When are we going to stop playing church? When are we going to stop playing church? And when are we going to get serious about wanting to know who He is? Not the fact of God, but the force behind what He said in His Word we could be. We're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. More than conquerors. And if you're going to get through life and you're going to have true joy, you know what? If we went outside, and I know the wind blows really, really good on this island. Welcome to global warming. Amen. It ain't, there ain't no such thing. It's, as, it's colder than a mother-in-law's kiss on this island. I'm telling Excuse me, I'm sorry. Any mother-in-law's in there, I'm sorry. You can go outside, and let me ask you something. If we were just hypothetically speaking, we were walking from here to our car after the service this morning. And we got outside, and along the ground came a piece of paper floating along the ground. And we looked at it, and it was a 20-pound note. Let's say it's a 100-pound note. 
and you go and you go over and step on it. Now, I'm going to tell you the first thing that'll go through my mind. Y'all might not have them over here, but in the States, we have these gospel tracks that are printed up, look like $100 bill. I'd be going, Lord, I hope that ain't one of them gospel tracks. <laughs> I hope that's a real $100 bill. You know, I pick it up, Steve. I look at it, and it's genuine. It's a genuine thing, and I go, praise God, I got $100. That'd make you happy, wouldn't it? This is yes, this is no. That'd make you happy, right? That's happiness. But let me ask you something. What if you go into work tomorrow, Romani, and your employer says, I'm sorry to inform you, but we don't need your services no more. We're going to have to shut down this, this place of business. You don't no longer have a job. What if you go to the doctor and you think you're healthy and you go to the doctor and they have, have to do an MRI on you and they find out you've got ovarian cancer, they, that you've got colon cancer, and they say, you know what, we're going to have to start rapid chemotherapy and radiation. You know what? Happiness is going to dissipate, isn't it? Happiness is going to fleet away. But can I say this? True joy will stay because it's deep down inside. Weep not, neither mourn, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if joy is linked to the way you think, then can I ask you something? You aren't what you think you are, but you are what you think. Let me say it again. You aren't what you think you are, but you are what you think. If you're going to get through life, number one, you've got to have confident thinking. Number two, you've got to have committed thinking. Paul said, everything that I am, everything that I've ever been, everything that ever will be, I commit into the hands of the one who died for me and stretched his arms out on that cross and said, I love you. I commit it all to him. I like the story in the Bible about Elijah and Elisha. Most people always focus on Elijah, the great prophet of God who went to the tips of Mount Carmel and stood before all those prophets of the grove and prophets of Baal and stood up and said, I pray that the fire of heaven will fall. And he prayed 63 words and fire from heaven fell on that mountain and it licked up the sacrifice and all the water that was in the trench. And it said the people shouted, The Lord he is God. The Lord, He is God. Man, I'm going to tell you what, that is awesome to think about that event. But you know what? There, there was a young man that had to take his place named Elisha. Now, let me explain something about Elisha. Elisha was a, was a man who was kind of like me, prematurely bald, sometimes didn't know what to say, got tongue-tied, Kind of a mama's boy, didn't want to leave home. But Elijah looked at Elisha when he went through Abel Mahola, and God said, that's the next one that'll be in line to carry the mantle. The prayer shawl, the tallit. And they're walking, Pastor. They're walking one day, and they, they're over there walking, and, 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 and he and Elijah are talking, and all of a sudden, uh, Elijah's caught up in a whirlwind and gone. And his mantle, his prayer shawl, floats to the ground. And Elisha takes that, puts it around his neck, turns around to the River Jordan, puts it together, smites the waters, and says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And the waters split, and he walks over on dry ground. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Where did a man by, by the name of Elisha get faith like that? I think he got it 
by what he had heard and where he had been with Elijah. Now, can I say this? Elisha could have. Just think with me for just a moment. When that took place, can I ask you all a question? If you're walking along, if me and Panos are walking along in Birmingham, and all of a sudden, Panos, you're taken up into heaven by a whirlwind, I'm going to tell you something, brother. That ain't going to give me good faith. That's going to scare me half to death. I don't know about you, but it scared me to death. I'm going to tell you what I would have the tendency to do if I were Elisha is I would have went off and I'd have hid somewhere because I'd been scared to death. But Elisha didn't do that. It said that when Elijah was taken up from him, Romani, he took the prayer shawl and he went back to the River Jordan. Now, by the way, there were 50 preacher boys on the other side, preacher. You know this by the story. There were 50 preacher boys over there on the other side that were looking through the bushes watching what Elisha would do. Sounds kind of like churches today. You got one person doing something and 50 that's watching. You welcome. But Elisha took it and he went back, Tyler, and he smoked the waters and they parted and he went over on dry ground just like he had come over. You want to know what that takes, folks? That takes commitment. Anybody can quit. It takes about, listen to me, takes about that much character to quit. Zero. A circle with the edges erased takes about that much character to quit. But it takes a person with character to commit and to say, I will not, I will not sit down, I will not slack up, back up, or pack up until I go up. I'm not going to give up. Oh, yeah, we want to. I know everybody in this room at one time want to give up. We got friends that hate our guts because we stand with Jesus Christ. There's people, if we even mention the name of Jesus, oh, you can talk about God. And that's fine. But don't you bring up Jesus. You know, the Scripture is true. It would be a stumbling block. And it has been. But can I say this? Even though it was a source of finger pointing when they were called Christians first at Antioch, it didn't stop them from calling themselves Christians. And I'll be honest with you, today I'll announce to you that it is right for us to call ourselves a child of the Most High God and we are our saviors. We are Jesus' followers. And I'm not ashamed of it. It takes commitment. Do you know what? When he smoked those waters, Panos, Elisha said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? Can I ask you today, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Can I tell you where he's at? He's where he's always been. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's on his throne in heaven. He has not moved. He hadn't abdicated his throne. He ain't on nerve medication or heart pills. He ain't going to be impeached and he ain't about to resign. He's still King of kings and Lord of lords. That's where the Lord God of Elijah is. But can I say this? I believe the call today is not where's the Lord God of Elijah. I believe the call today is where are the Elishas of the Lord God? We need some people, Steve, that will take the mantle and go back and say, I'm going to have faith to believe that God's going to part this sea of tribulation in my life and I'm going to walk over on dry ground because He goes before me. 
You've got to have confident thinking. Number two, you've got to have committed thinking. I want you to look at chapter number four very quickly. I'm going somewhere. You say, preacher, how much more are you going to read this book? Well, probably every bit of it. Look at chapter number four, verse 10. Chapter number four, verse 10. If you're going to have joy, it's going to be linked to the way you think. You've got to have confident thinking. You've got to have committed thinking. But number three, I want you to look at chapter number four and verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have, say the next word with me, learned. Let's say it again. For I have that whatsoever state I am, Therewith to be what? Let me, that was weak. Therewith to be what? Content. If you're going to have true joy, panos, we've got to have it linked to the way we think. One of the most powerful tools that God ever gave you in the original armament, armament of God, I'm here to tell you that we have got to change the way we think. And if you're going to have joy, you've got to have confident thinking. Number two, you've got to have committed thinking. Be committed. But number three, you've got to have contented thinking. Contented thinking. Tyler, we were coming back from taking Shelly to her teaching engagement. I guess it was Thursday. And uh, we were coming back, and Pastor and I and Shelly were talking about her trip to Kenya. And I told her a story. I went to a uh, missions conference about five years ago uh, with another evangelist that took me. His name is Tyra Marshall. He's a good friend of mine. And He's got a ministry called Now Ministries where he sends, uh, he supports missionaries all over the world. And he had one to come in and visit who was from Uganda, an evangelist, a national evangelist preacher from Uganda. This man, he asked to give a testimony. This man stood up, and I'm just telling you the truth of how we think sometimes. I looked at him and I went, you know, you, first of all, you, you say, well, I feel kind of sorry for him. You know, he didn't have a nice suit. You know, God help us. God help us. We put up all these little barriers in our mind and, and all these little uh, insinuations and all these thoughts about what people are based upon the outside. I'm here to tell you that man was a spiritual giant. He stood up and he said, Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. And he began to tell us some stories about the ministry that he has. He does what I do. But he does it far more humble than I do. You know what I found out, folks? That it ain't all about us. You know what? This life ain't about us. God didn't create you for you. He created you for Him. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. God didn't create you for you. He created you for Him. That man stood up, Steve, and he said, I have ten children. Me and my wife travel in evangelism. He said, I go from village to village and preach the gospel that people might hear and be saved. He said, I have a few needs at the end of his little testimony. He said, I have a few needs I would like to ask you to pray about. He didn't ask for them. He asked us to pray as God's people for him. He said, I have a few needs. Number one, he said, I'm in need of a 10-speed bicycle. I went, 
This guy's got 10 kids. What's he wanting a bicycle for? And then he said, I have a need for a six-man tent. I would like for you to pray that God would meet our need. Well, i just be honest with you. I went up after the service. I said, hey, brother, can I talk to you a minute? Now, I got ready to pull out a piece of money to give him to go buy a bicycle, but I asked him before I did that, I said, can I ask you why you need a 10-speed bicycle? He said, well, we already have one. He said, but my family can't ride on one bicycle. Got 11 members beside himself, folks. He said, what we do is my wife rides with the four youngest kids on the one bicycle. He said, the other six older ones walk with me. And we go from... I found out they travel all over the region of Uganda by foot. He said... We already have one tent, but it'll only sleep five people. He said, the other seven of us, my wife and me, and the other kids that are older, sleep outside and try to find shelter. Now, Steve, he didn't ask. He didn't get up and say, folk, I need a bicycle. Matter of fact, it would be great if we could get about $5,000. I guarantee you that the people in that auditorium could have well met that need. But Romani, he didn't ask for it. He said, I want you to pray that God would meet our need. I don't think we really know. I know I'm not a good teacher. I'm just a preacher. But I don't think we really know what contentment means. Contentment. Paul said, I'm in a jail and I have learned. Listen, learning to be content, listen, contentment is not an acquired thing. You've got to learn how to be content with whatsoever you have. You've got to learn it. Folks, can I tell you, if you're going to have the joy of the Lord... Not only in your heart, but it can, listen, it's contagious and it'll spread to your face. If you're going to have the joy of the Lord in your heart and on your face, it's got to be linked to the way you think. You've got to have confident thinking. You've got to have committed thinking. You've got to have contented thinking. Be content. Paul said, look at verse 12. I know how both to be abased, how to be made low, and how to be to abound. He said, I know how to be in the valley, and I know how to be on the mountaintop. And it don't matter what geographical area I'm in, I've learned to be content because God is the one that makes the path straight for me. You know what? God knows exactly, Mom. Exactly, Dad. College student, university student, He knows exactly where you're at. Exactly. You want to know why? Because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He knows exactly where you're at, ma'am. He knows exactly where you're at, sir. So listen, the words oops and uh uh-oh never come across the lips of God. God didn't send you somewhere and go, oh, made a mistake. He don't do that. God knows exactly where you're at. And if you're going to have joy, it's linked to this. I've said it before. Your pastor said it. I know. We've got stinking thinking. Sometimes our thinking stinks. We've got to change the way we think. How do you do that? Well, you've got to have confident thinking. You've got to have committed thinking. You've got to have contented 
thinking. You know, contentment is saying, Lord, I'm thankful. Here's the difference between pride and praise. Pride says, look what I have done. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You can't praise God when all you're doing is saying, boy, look what I did for God. Pride is saying, look what I did. But praise is saying, man, look what God did. And folks, if you're going to be content... You're going to have to realize that the God that knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning said that He started a work in you and He'll finish the work in you. Contented thinking. You say, but preacher, you left out chapter number two. No, I didn't. Jump back to chapter number two. I want to show you something. There's a reason I'm ending up with this chapter. I want you to look at chapter number two and look at verse number four, three. If you're going to have the joy of the Lord, number one, it's linked to the way you think. Number one, you've got to have confident thinking. Number two, committed thinking. Number three, contented thinking. But number four, now I want all of you to listen to me. If you're going to have true joy, you've got to have conforming thinking. Conforming thinking. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Won't you look at chapter number two and verse number three? He said, let nothing, Peter, let nothing. Can I ask y'all, what does nothing mean? Very, very good, class. Nothing. It means nothing. Let nothing be done through strife or vain... That was the Holy Spirit telling me to stop. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of what? Huh? What did he say? Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. And look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you. There's that word mind again, Chris. You can't get away from it. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form, the very essence of God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery. Same Greek word, and we've got a Greek here, and I'm not going to try to impress anybody, especially him, but I'm telling you it's the same Greek word that means we get our English word rapture from, be kidnapped, deceived by force. Who, listen, Jesus didn't think it's something to grasp a hold of and say, I ain't leaving heaven. He laid that aside and made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, can I tell you what I've had it up to here with? And I know God has. I know y'all want to know, and you probably ain't going to say you want to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I've had it up to about here, and I know God has too. With this think of competition in Christianity... You know what it says here in verse number 3? Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Let me tell you something. America is, is imploding among the Christian circles because of a thing called competition. Well, he gets more glory than I do. It ought not matter who gets the glory except him. I've heard people say this. Well, how's this going to benefit my church if I come and have a collective meeting? That's what I heard when I did this tent crusade in October. 
How does this preacher benefit my church? I said, well, number one, sir, this don't got nothing to do with your church. This has to do with the kingdom. I want to see people saved by the grace of God. Then you go out and you lead them to a good Bible-believing church, but I'm not going to tell them you ought to go here and you ought to go there. How's this going to benefit my church? Let me tell you what Paul said from a jail cell. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You want to know what? I can tell you how you know you've got the mind of Christ is when you get to work this week and somebody that's been there less time than you have gets the promotion you don't, I'll see how much of the mind of Christ you have. Because you know what a person who has the mind of Christ does? Goes up and says, Steve, you know, you got that job promotion, man. Man, I'm so, gl- I'm, I'm so glad for you. God bless you, man. If you don't, you may not have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean you ain't saved. I'm going to tell you what God... I'll tell you how big of a work God's done in my heart. And I know some of you precious people in here haven't sinned probably in 30 years, but I have. Let me tell you what He did in my heart, Pastor. I walked in here yesterday... And Malcolm says, hey, come here. I want to show you something. And he took me back here and he showed me our dear friend, Dave Kistler's new truck and trailer he got for his tent to haul around the United States of America to go to Tent Crusade to Tent Crusade. And you know what the first thing I did? Let me tell you something, folks. Eight years ago, I wouldn't have said this. Eight years ago, I went, well, why ain't God giving me one of them? First thing I did was I said, you know what? I know what a struggle it's been for him to try to haul that tent all around the country. And I thank God that He gave it to him. Now, folks, I ain't arrived. And by no means, I'm not preaching nothing that God ain't already pricked my heart about. But I'm here to tell you, if you are going to have joy in your life, you've got to conform your mind to the mind of Christ. And can I ask you this? What's the first word of verse number 5? Let. Tyler, what do you think that word let means? It means to allow, to permit. Folks, you've got to allow him to do it. I'll be honest with you, there ain't nobody in this room that can have the mind of Christ in their own flesh. You have to be totally controlled by the Spirit of God. So you say, well, preacher, how do you have joy? Confident thinking, committed thinking, contented thinking, but panos, conforming thinking. Conforming thinking. You aren't, listen to me, you aren't what you think you are but you are what you think. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for your word. Bless now in the time to come as we worship together in spirit and in truth in the next hour to come. I pray that, Lord, if there's somebody in church and not in Christ, that you'd help them to realize their definite need for you as a Savior. Lord, please speak to hearts and help us to realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength and it's based upon how we think. And I'll love and praise you for what you do in our midst this morning and tonight and in the days to come in this week, because I ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.